What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Spawn on Me podcast. This is episode 132, and I am your host, Cicero Holmes, a.k.a. Stubby Stan. I am the captain now, and I am here <laughs> with my brother for, from another mother, uh, the man who makes gaming look good, the man who makes Afros look good, the man who makes... Chicken pot pies look good. He is the one and only Sharif Jackson of SharifJackson.com. How are you doing today, sir? This is no longer Sharif. Who's Sharif? Right. This is Adam Jensen from DSX. <laughs> I took out Sharif with a, tr- with a tranquilizer dart. I deactivated my augmentations and activated my spawnmentations. Oh, spawnmentations for the win. Afro lives matter. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we we would definitely be talking about that. But yes, what's up, everybody? Uh, I'm chilling. You know what I'm saying. Um, though I realized when I went to dinner that I went through most of this day thinking it was Friday. Wow. Um, to the point where at the end of the day, when people were leaving, I kept telling them, "Have a nice weekend." <laughs> <laughs> so wait a minute. Did you all of a sudden start working at a restaurant? You were like, uh, "You went to dinner. You went to dinner with people from work." No, 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 no. My, my, you know, I, 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 I got some uh, family that's uh, visiting, so we went out to dinner with them after work. Oh, and they were asking me about the day, and I said Friday, and like, <laughs> and, 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 and like they, they were like, you know, it's Thursday, right? And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> and then I started thinking about the hours like before this, and like I was like, yo, about four people left, and I was like. Have a good weekend, you know. Like <laughs> so, so, but they did give me the tip to say that I can always say I said that because I thought I won't be coming in tomorrow. That is true. You that know, is, that is true. That way, it doesn't make me look like too much of an idiot. Nice, you know. Your family, so, your family has your back. They are always spinning for you, baby. They are like yeah. DJs. That's what I'm saying. I'm all about idiot proof. I'm after baby proof life for myself. Word up. Word up. That's <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. Um we uh we are spinning and we're gonna spin right into saying uh obligatory housekeeping stuff like thank you guys so much for repping and sharing and listening to the show and coming back for yet another week, especially well, I, I think that you guys would be incentivized to come back. After we hut, hut, hut it into the greatness that was Ben Harmella last right. week. Um, listen, I love that effing dude, man. Uh, you know, he is just as entertaining and as energetic and as effervescent um, off, off camera and off mic as he was on camera and on mic. And, I, you know, I said it. On Twitter, I'll say it again here. EA, if you guys don't decide to do some kind of developer's diary um, talking about either Madden development or doing something during the course of the season um, and feature Ben in it, you guys are making a mistake. Yes. Yeah, that would be so awesome. And I feel like, you know, a lot of times when you get into like this cynical kind of gamer complaining about, you know, the devs are just out, you know, they don't have any passion for games. They just want to make money and give us DLC and stuff. Like, like you talk to a guy like Ben and like you're reminded, like these people love this stuff. Love it. Love you it. You know, 
And and they especially love it because the game industry is not easy. No, no, <laughs> to be in like no all. matter how good you are, it's right. like bad hours right. and and you know and like and like a lot of pressure to meet these deadlines right. and yeah. stuff. But he absolutely loves it, and I thought he was a great representative for for uh, Tiburon and the rest of the. Uh, of the, of the Madden team out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and uh, the game is doing well. I think it's selling well. I'm sure. I'm sure it's going to sell well. It's still reviewing well. There have been some very entertaining glitches. <laughs> yes, uh, great glitches. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, you know, I'm sure they'll they'll be able to fix those, and uh, and we're already starting to see some of the things that they were talking about with regards to dynamic. Uh, commentary. Um, yep. Shout out! Shout out to Colin Kaepernick uh, of my San Francisco 49ers. bruh. If you can hear the sound of my voice, I got your back, son. Um, I don't know how much longer you're going to be the quarterback for my favorite team, but uh, we're holding you down. Bracago has got you. You can always start in Bracago, bruh. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, and you know, I think he. You know, he. Uh, has been very vocal, obviously, about his feelings toward, like, the national anthem. And, you know, um, I think about, you know, at, like, the ESPYs when LeBron and Dwayne Wade, right. you know, and, and, Mello. and, and like, Mello and them all right. st- st- stood up at the beginning and, like, talked about, like, this violence in the community. Like, I just love it. Like, I love when people that have a platform, like, they use it and they're not scared to, you know, to just stand up for what they believe in even if it jeopardizes their money now i know they're millionaires you right. know so it's not, so it's not like they're gonna go hungry <laughs> right you know but, uh, um, ask latrell <laughs> yeah 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 that, <laughs> got kids that, to um. that that is true i'm i mean like but like latrell probably gambled his whole salary on rims word so, word you know, they spinning you know what i'm saying <laughs> um but but um yeah yeah I, I just really love what uh what, what like Colin's doing and yeah this is just again by like being able to integrate that directly into the commentary you know I think that you know it's just it's just Madden taking it to the next level as long as they implement our suggestion from last week right. which was to get some of that old school Pat Summerall yes. John Madden commentary right. yes <laughs> in there right speed you know. kills. um well you know you know what so we're gonna do some things that we uh haven't done recently uh or or all that often it seems like it's a very special episode when we don't have a guest uh and we just talk games and we're gonna do a lot of that today um we kind of alluded to the fact that you know or, or you know we talked about adam jensen we talked about uh, standing up for what you believe in and uh, Deus Ex um, Mankind Divided has uh, been somewhat divisive uh, with with regards to their marketing and their messaging and their gameplay and if you want to know a little bit more about that I would direct you to uh, Mr. Sharif Jackson who makes gaming look good with his latest gaming looks good video about uh deus ex mankind divided and reef may i say seriously 
you know, no bullshit. This is, you know, I'm 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 taking the smoke and I'm blowing it in the opposite direction because I'm not blowing it at you. <laughs> it is it is the epitome of what you set out to do with Gaming Looks Good. This is in my opinion by far the best one you have ever done in terms of hitting the message and really delivering that to the people. Um, absolutely amazing great work thanks thanks man i really appreciate it i mean i was a little worried when i was doing it because it was a little longer than i like to do them i usually like to have them like 10 or 15 minutes but there was like so much yeah that i wanted to cover and like one of the reasons why it ended up being longer than i thought was because you know part of the part of my beef with the game is that the game is called Mankind Divided. Right. You know, they had a lot of marketing on mechanical apartheid, on right. the division between classes and on you know, like they made clear 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 allusions between like the augmented characters in the game which are essentially like cyborgs um, to like movements like Black Lives Matter right. and them being like the oppressed minority. Um and they just didn't really deliver that in like the main narrative of the game. Right. Um, and it's one thing I really feared was I was like, man, like they're marketing on these really heavy images that people have died behind. Like, are they going to give it the attention that it deserves? And it was so frustrating because they do in small parts, but they're all in these like hidden secondary objectives that people like me will do. Sure. But you have to, like, seek out and find them. Right. And, and I feel like when you're marketing on something, you damn well better put it, like, right up in your face as part of the main game. Right, right. Front um, and center. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah so, so, like, the reason that my video ended up being almost 30 minutes was because I, I was like, yo, I'm going to show everywhere I think they lived up to it. And this is like a, you know, it could be like a 40, 50, 60 hour game right. if you find everything and i could only find you know i i think probably if i added up all the video clips maybe five minutes of video clips right like for like a for a for a 50 hour game right right exactly what is that i mean what does that really even work out to uh math uh two percent you know yeah maybe yeah Um, i mean it, it was it was it was really disappointing and it's a shame because mechanically in the gameplay it's phenomenal right like i really enjoy you know um actually the mechanics of playing the game but at the same time i can't let them off the hook for marketing on one thing and not putting that into the game right and you know and and what i will say is that you did a brilliant job of of showcasing where the marketing shined um, you know, but you, but like you said, the problem was that you had to go and discover that stuff. And it's not stuff that the average consumer that just plays the critical path story is going to find and really be able to draw out of, out of, uh, that narrative. But what you did present, I think Square could be very proud of. What the problem is, they can't be proud of where they, where you had to go in order to get that stuff. Um, so, so that is it, it. And you did a, you did an excellent job, I think, of both presenting, presenting the positives and then telling and, and being, um, uh, beautifully critical about, 
about the about the game and uh, especially with regards to the marketing and how they marketed the game. So uh, let's also talk about like you you, you kind of went into it a little bit. Um, let's talk about the mechanics and let's talk about the game itself. Uh, what did what did you think of it? Sure. Um, so um, so if you haven't played a game in the franchise like before. Um, it's essentially, you know, it's a 16 year old franchise at this point. So it's, right. wow. so it's been around for a while. Um, this is only the fourth game in the series, but and it's essentially the second one on consoles. Uh, no, the first two were on consoles. Were they? Um, I thought they were PC only. Yeah. So like Deus Ex came, came to the Xbox, the, the like original game, oh, wow. um, and Invisible War. And it's so like the original Deus Ex came out in 2000 for PC. Um, and that got ported to Xbox. Okay. Um, Invisible War actually got a lot of flack because it, the lead development was console, mm. and then it was ported to PC. Okay. So like, so, so like Invisible War, I believe was on um, the 360 and the PS3. Um, so, so, sorry, the uh, Xbox and the PS2. Um, right. But because that was the lead console the like PC version suffered because they didn't really maximize the platform. Right. Um, so like, uh, so like, even though I enjoyed it, that one didn't get reviewed and like is in general, like the weakest one out of the four games. Okay. Um, and that came out in 2003. Um, and then in 2011, um, human revolution came out, which was kind of like, not really a reboot, more of a prequel, but well, kind of a reboot prequel, kind of kind of like Force Awakens. Right. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? It's right. it's like technically a new timeline, but it's really a reboot of it. Right. Um, and it got great reviews. Um, I thought it was a fantastic kind of like return to form right. um, of the series. Um, and if you compare the marketing and sort of the actual story of that game to uh, Mankind Divided. Human Revolution did a far better job of delivering on sort of the main story. Right. And they used the side story to add on... Sure. To add on little details and lore, but not introduce major marketing points as uh, Mankind Divided did. But the great thing about this series is that, um, you know, basically they present you with a mission like you know, take this document from this room and they give you about seriously about maybe five or six different ways to do it. And they don't tell you the ways. So, um, you know, I mean like there is like an option to turn on sort of like the objective so that you can kind of see a lot easier what to do. But my favorite thing about it, this like series is just wide open so like i could go look for an air vent to crawl through and like sneak past guys right i i could pick up this gas grenade and like uh, knock these guys out um i could just go in with a rocket launcher and just blow everything up um i could use like a speed or or like a jumping augmentation that like lets me jump up to this platform that's way up in the air you know so like there's like so many different things and once you once you choose one path, you're not stuck with that path. Right. So, like, the gameplay is, like, really emergent and, like, it, like, really encourages you to, to like, experiment and to play around. And, like, if something doesn't go your way, just roll with it. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, like, 
it doesn't encourage you to like keep on like that quick saving and then if like you don't get it through completely silent like the reload you know it's mm. it's it's like satisfying to like to like uh, go through maybe mess up a bit and then kind of fumble your way into a better way right you know so so like i think in terms of that there's some really fantastic mission design here mm. um you know um there is particularly a mission that's like later in the game where like uh, you have to break into a bank um i mean it's just incredible i, I mean it's it's like a multi story bank obviously there's like tons of tons of tons of uh, security tons of like drones and people and laser laser grids and trip mines and all kind of stuff and laser like you people. Have, <laughs> laser people <laughs> right. and 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 like i mean like you just have free reign to tackle it anyway right. any way possible hmm. i mean like i like went and i hacked i found the security console I hacked into it and my hacking skills were like so high that I could actually hack into the turrets and make them target the enemy instead of me. So like I just did that and just heard all these people just dying. Nice. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, so, so, um, yeah, there's like so many options. Um, and also despite it not dealing on the core messages, um, I think that the series has been one that, um, because it involves kind of like travel traveling around to different countries, um, it probably has one of the more diverse casts that you see in these um, ensemble games. Right. Um, now the portrayals aren't always one hundred percent, and we'll talk about that when we talk about like uh, Asian representation in games. Right. Um, but like, obviously, there's like the infamous kind of like Letitia, the right. the uh, future slave right. uh, trash lady right. from uh, Human Revolution. I found um, a mushroom, boss. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is a 2087, <laughs> boss, and I'm talking like 1865. Um, you know, um, but but like they, you know, they do kind of go out of their way to actually get like voice actors and like the languages to like represent like Egypt and Hong Kong right. um, and Germany uh, and yeah. Prague. Right. So oh, my bad. So, I, said, I said Czechoslovakia, but, yeah, exactly. yeah, but uh, yes. that, I, I don't think that exists anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that country exists anymore. Um, it's the Czech Republic. Right. Um, but, but, but um, yeah, yeah. So like, I think over the past 16 years, it's really been kind of like one of those series that, really does have like regularly have like um characters that speak arabic you know right. um and they're not all evil <laughs> right right <laughs> you, you know what i'm saying i mean it's not all like call like a call of duty villains you know right um so i do think that you know they like continue that in this game mm. um so yeah it's just a shame because you know i, I like the story i like the gameplay it's just hard to recommend it Unless you're really into the series, as like I am, it's hard to recommend because they really do fail on, you know, what I think is one of the most important things is to nail your core idea. Right. You know, you, you know it's it, the funny thing about it is, and, and the shameful part about it is that it seems like they went to, they went. I'm not going to say great lengths, but they went to lengths to succeed on. 
that core marketing principle, the core ideal um, where, you know, that they they really did as as you presented, you know, masterfully in and gaming looks good. Episode 24. Um, yep. Which is and, at GameLooksGood.com. Yes, there you go. <laughs> um, or on YouTube slash GameLooksGood. Um, so uh, the 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 thing the thing that is upsetting is the fact that you don't expect the majority of your audience to go through the side quests and and go through enough of the side quests to get the, even the type of fleshed out. Uh, conversation and messaging and narrative that you were able to get as you went through your experience with Deus Ex. Um, it, 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 it is a shame that Square didn't put more of that stuff front and center because it's there. Yep. You know, it is there. It took, you know, pe- there were, there were meetings upon meetings. There were, you know, there were, there was, you know, tens of hours of voice acting that was added and all these animations and all these writers and all of this stuff that was done to bring some poignance to that messaging that they received so much flack over. And the, the shame of it all is that most people won't get to see it. I want to say before we move on to some other games that have come out, here is the Deus Ex chron- chronology. Uh, there have been five games that are canon. Um, there have been six total games. The other game being Deus Ex Go that released about a month ago. Um, the first is... It's a mobile game. Yeah, the mobile game. So The Fall, Deus Ex The Fall, also a mobile game. Yeah. Um, that that takes place in the universe in 2027, the same time as Human Revolution, 2027. Yeah, it's, it's a side story. And then... Uh, Mankind Divided takes place in 2029. The original Deus Ex takes place in 2052. And Invisible War takes place in 2072. So they really they really went into some Tokyo Drift type bullshit right there. <laughs> um, yep, yeah, and and the reason that that like I said four games cuz I don't consider The Fall right. to be a uh, it's kind of forgettable. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just like Invisible War and Tokyo Drift. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> hey man, it's called drifting, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would, hey man, cause the new DK man. Yeah, yeah, cause the drift king. He's the drift king. He's the dearly departed drift king. Yes, oh man, drifting all. Yeah, DDDK, DDDK. All, oh. all we need is bow out. All we need is bow out. It couldn't say it. Um, so, uh, what else is dearly departed at this point now <laughs> is is the Titanfall Two beta. Um, EA, we're we're going to talk about a pair of EA betas, um, and uh, the first is the Titanfall Two beta, the multiplayer. Uh, well, it wasn't a beta. It was a yeah, pre-alpha yeah, tech test, tech test um, for for uh, Titanfall 2, where they had three different game modes, um, two of which you wanted to play, one of which you were like, well, this is basically Call of Duty. Why am I doing this? 
Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so the, the, f- the first one, the main one was Conquest, basically. Uh, you know, it, so if you remember Titanfall, it, you got mechs. You, it was the first uh, multiplayer game where you could do some wall running. Um, and, uh, and it was great with the mechs and you, you know, your Titans would fall down and you do all the stuff. And, and basically this was conquest. You have the different, the three points on the map and the different, your two teams are supposed to collect them. Uh, and whoever earns the most points at the end of the match wins. Uh, then the other mode was called bounty. Was it bounty hunt, bounty hunt and bounty hunt. Um, was a mode where uh, similar to if you're a Call of Duty fan, Kill Confirmed, yep. where you kill uh, when you you receive kills, uh, killing either the opponent team, uh, the opposing team, or the NPCs that would litter the area, uh, and both teams would be fighting those NPCs. And then at the end of each round, there were several rounds within a match. The end of each round, you would have to go to a bank and deposit the money that you would earn from your kills uh, in this bank. And every time you 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 were killed, your money was halved. So not only was it important for you to uh, kill opposing team members, but but also also the NPCs because everything earned you money, and you wanted to to continue to earn that money. When your team reached whatever the threshold was, whatever the predetermined threshold was, you won uh, that round. So, uh, Reef, what did you think of the game modes and the pre-alpha tech test of Titanfall 2? Um, so you didn't mention the third mode, which was the pilot versus pilot. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Why? The, the, the uh, Titanfall is Titanfall. Right, right, exactly. Um, which, yeah, I kind of... I think it's a good option to have, but I don't see why it would be part of the tech test. It's like, who wants to play Titanfall without what's in the title? Right. Like, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I grew to enjoy it. When I first started playing it, I was not a fan. I attribute part of that being that I normally play Titanfall 1 on PC. Right. Um, and I just don't understand how people play this thing with a controller. <laughs> because Titanfall 1 was a lot faster and more frantic. Mm-hmm. So when you were a pilot, you were like just zooming around, always flashing your camera back and forth, up and down, right. jumping up here, looking down, up behind you. And, you know, everything obviously is a bit slower on the controller. So I felt like it was a lot slower. Right Now, I did read feedback that people did say that compared to the console version of Titanfall 1, that they did feel that this game was slower. And I saw some quotes from Respawn where they said that they intentionally slowed it down because they got a lot of feedback from Titanfall 1 that people said that it was too chaotic and Mm. that they would often lose track of things on the screen because there was too much going on. And to them, I say, fuck off and go play another game. But, uh, you know, uh, that was what they kind of went with. Um, Hopefully that's something that they can either change or add, like, an option that the server can choose. So, like, like it can be, like, a 
Titanfall Championship Edition hyper fighting, right? Um, where <laughs> they have, yeah, exactly. <laughs> where where they have like a turbo mode, um, but 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 yeah, and not having that, the speed and the ability to easily look around fast, kind of like made it more difficult for me to get into you than I thought. Mm. Um, but I so I started playing it a, a little differently, a little slow, slower, and more. Strategic. I almost played it like I play Halo. Really, wow. Okay. Like I was kind of like peeking around corners and kind of like not just diving right into stuff like right. I did with 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 uh, with original. a Titanfall one. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I so I grew to like it. I did feel like that they're a little more stingy with the Titans. Um, right. I felt like in the original game, I was getting like one to two Titans every match, easy. Right. And sometimes three, if I was really getting kills. In this one, I, I would get maybe one Titan, and it was usually like near the end of the match. Sure. Um, so I feel like they're making it a little. It's not quite a Call of Duty kill streak where you have to go on like a you know not dying streak, but I feel like they're tying the Titans a little more to how well that you're doing. Right. And I felt like one of the beautiful things about Titanfall One was it served as a good equalizer, where even if you weren't doing well. You could still get a Titan because it was based on a countdown, hmm. you know. Um, so, um, and that's one thing I noticed fairly consistently across um, b- both b- both the bounty hunt and and like the uh, the uh, and PowerPoint uh, modes, um, you know. So yeah, th- so uh, those things. I mean, they're not enough to make me not get the game, but they're definitely things that I feel like are. Um, things that where they went down in terms of my enjoyment from from from, from the original one. Um, so, so you know, I'm not like like I'm definitely going to buy it. Probably not a day one purchase, right. um, but you know, I'm glad that it's coming out. I'm glad that PlayStation players get a chance to um, play it, um, and I'm glad that Respawn is coming out early because with the original Titanfall, they had the whole Microsoft Azure server. Um, thing to manage that so now they're on some whole nother ship because they got support right. sony as well right. so i'm glad that they're coming out with this now to f- to hopefully make sure that the server problems are at a minimum for launch yeah I, and, we, and we haven't received the numbers i haven't seen them yet uh for the number of people that actually participated in the in the two weekend uh pre-alpha tech test um, but I will say my impressions were that I felt like I was better at the game in this version than I was in the original Titanfall. And I, I don't know if that was my fam- uh, familiarity with the the game itself. If the mm-hmm. game if if because the game was slowed down and was less uh, frenetic uh, and that that fit my game playing style and you know my old eyes and hand hand eye coordination <laughs> uh better than than uh the the original titanfall i don't know what it was but i really really enjoyed myself i enjoyed uh the new bounty hunt mode um and uh i am looking forward to uh, this game being released i you know i'm not going to i think it's going to be a 
first week purchase for me. It may not be day of. I mean, I mean, who are we kidding? I probably will just buy the game day of. But um, the 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 thing is that I feel like if you don't get the game day of, or if you don't get it immediately after it releases, you're going to be you know perpetually behind the eight ball. And and that game, and, you know, as people learn new techniques, as people uh, continue to grow uh, and and develop new skills within the game, and as they continue to unlock things within the game, um, and that was that was something that I thought was really nice. They added a bunch of new mechanics. Uh, there's a, a grappling hook that you can now use. That's really cool. Um, yeah. I like the unlock system. They they've it looks like they've kind of uh, migrated away from the the card system that they had in the original Titanfall. Yeah, um, I haven't seen much mention of that. Right. So uh, uh, now there is there seems to be a kind of uh, attachment unlock and reward system uh, based on your the frequency with which you use a particular weapon. Um, so and then you can use points to just unlock an attachment. Or a perk for uh, for that particular weapon or skill, uh, if you if you so desire. Uh, so I, I like the way that they're doing all of that stuff. I think that's really cool. Um, I, you know, I don't know if it necessarily separates them from any from the seven, <laughs> almost literally seven other first person shooters <laughs> that are going to be releasing in in the same three week period. Yeah. Um, but 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 it is what is different about that game is that uh, it is a sci-fi first-person shooter. There will be another one that will be released. Um, but you know the Titans make you know gives gives it its own little secret sauce, its own little special thing that it does that nobody else is doing. Um, that that makes it unique, and and I I, I think that it will do well how well is really kind of up in the air um but uh yeah yeah, yeah, go ahead. yeah and, and, and you know i want to make it clear that the beauty of the first game to me is it's not just the titans it's the fact that you don't feel overpower in a titan and you don't feel underpower as a pilot. yes 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 like, that's really hard to do mm-hmm. and Absolutely. as a pilot you didn't feel underpower because like they had the wall running, you could jump right. fairly high. Right. You can get, you can get in these little nooks and crannies. Mm-hmm. Everybody had these anti-Titan weapons right. that they could shoot. Um, and that I feel like it felt a little scaled down as a pilot. And I think part of that was because of the grappling hook. Like I enjoyed using the grappling hook, right. but I think they intended to use that as your main getaway from things tool. So I didn't find a lot of places where I could do the same kind of wall running and like double jump up to this and wall running. Oh man, I was doing that like a like a one. boss, son. I was in there. I was wall running. I was wall hanging. I would I like I grappled to something and then wall hang and then snipe somebody. It was oh, yeah. Look at you. Yeah, I was. I was the You're man. Boss. This, yeah, this old man was you know showing showing a little. Uh, whippersnappers a thing or two. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah. It, it's uh, you know, it's yeah, yeah. I, I, I just didn't find that in my experience. I mean, it, it was there. And again, it might have also been like the level 
like right. the levels that they had on this. Right. I mean, I don't think they're completely finished. No. Um, so yeah, they just didn't feel as well designed for the pilots right. to really um, exploit. Um, you know, and get like vantage points right. on the Titans. And these kind of these were so they were there were two two maps um, available, and these this was again the pre alpha tech test. Uh, what what I will also say is what's interesting is the control scheme was completely different from the control the control scheme that I used when I played at EA Play uh, back in LA in June. Um, the default. The, the default the control control mapping button mapping was very very different very uh, different from from the original Titanfall and it took me a little while to figure it out as I was playing and I wound up getting my ass kicked as a result uh, but then <laughs> picking up uh, picking it up again uh, over the last couple of weekends being able to play it again. Uh, was was really good, and I was able to you know the controls were exactly what I thought they would be. So so that was awesome. That was dope. Um, so yeah, you know, good job, good job by by uh, by the guys over at Respawn, uh, published by EA. Also published by EA is a game called Battlefield One. Uh, Battlefield One demo or beta is. Uh, out right now uh, I think it's going through this weekend so by the time you guys are hearing this it'll be over and uh, we have had a chance to play both in the closed portion of that beta and now the open beta that's available to everyone um, I'm going to say uh, my impressions first my first impression is loading the game up and seeing the splash screen and seeing a black character on the splash screen was really dope. Like just that that alone was like, oh man, you know, I'm about to play an FPS and there's a black dude on the on the screen. Like yep. when's the when was the last time when was the ever time that has happened? Um so so that that was really, really dope. I you know, kudos kudos to to uh to EA for for that and you know and all of the uh, physical um, merch that's available has you know the the, the Harlem Hellcats uh, character that's you know prominently displayed. Um, there, like like in Titanfall Two, um, there are two game modes which basically are the two game modes in in Battlefield: um, <laughs> Conquest and Rush. And uh, 64 players for Conquest, 32 players for Rush, or 24 players for Rush. Um, and uh, they are, it's, it's really good. It, you know, it's set in World War One. There's only one map. And, you know, there, there was a lot of questions about how well, a, how well a video game would translate to a primitive in quotes primitive war as the first great war uh, world war one and i think that um ea was able to dice was able to answer that question with a resounding um quite well uh, and um not only do the weapons feel feel great um and feel natural and and really 
give you a sense of what what uh, what more primitive weapons are are like. But they also did a great job of getting that visceral feel of what it must have been like to fight in World War One, where this was like the first modern war. Um, it, it really, it really just comes across when you're playing it. Um, it, it's, it's quite, quite good, quite good in terms of the mechanics and, and how well World War One in the one map that we've played translates to, to the player, to me, the player. what do you think, Reef? I, I was really, really impressed by this, um, Again, it's one of those games like I, I really liked Battlefield Three. Mm-hmm. Battlefield Four was good, but it was pretty much more of the same. Mm-hmm. Battlefield Hardline was a, essentially a skin of Battlefield Four with right. cops and robbers on it. So when I first heard that this was going to be, you know, a similar engine, and I was like, all right, it's just going to be another skin with World War One stuff on it. Um, but no, they changed. They they definitely changed the pacing of the game. Like I feel like it. It definitely feels sped up, but not like Call of Duty crazy, right? Um, because World War One was a very slow and you know kind of plodding war, right? I right. mean, like it was a lot of trench warfare, and it was a lot of like you know the introduction of things like machine guns and things like that. It was really like big masses of people running into each other, and, right? You know, and like doing that kind of stuff. So I feel like they realized that they couldn't pace it that slow, so they sped it up just a bit. And I feel like that that one change makes it so much fun to play. Mm-hmm. Getting in melee combat oh is gosh. really different from any other battlefield, yeah. any any Call of Duty game either. Like right. it, you really feel like you're like fighting for your life. Yes, like it, it almost reminds me of a really good version of those. Um, I don't know if you remember those Call of Duty three kind of quick time, quick time events, events yeah like somebody yes. would grab your gun and you yes. have to like yeah you're fighting you with know. your bayonet and you're trying to yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's sort of like a real-time version of that right and when you win it you're literally like beating someone to the ground with right. your st- like it like i felt like kind of bad like right. i was like holy shit i just beat this motherfucker with like right. a stick you know what i'm saying so or yeah a I shovel. Mean, I, yeah or a shovel um so 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 i i really felt um that that part of it so i agree with the visceral nature of it yeah. um i love the little like small beat tanks that they have in this game right. yeah, because the tanks they like you feel every bump on the ground right so it feels like you're actually in this like rugged like war zone you know and and like it's small enough to navigate through like small like building sections and roads and stuff like that so it's not kind of like the traditional kind of like huge battlefield like the M1 Abrams tanks. Where right, like, you right. Know, you know, where they take up everything. Right. You're, um, you're, a, you're a fortress, a moving fortress. Yeah, it's, it's a kind of like, you know, like a small, like personal thing. And I feel like, like, like you can roll with people with like infantry on foot in a tank and, it, and it's not weird. Right. You know, um, so um yeah yeah I I really enjoyed the uh tanks. Um they also introduced horses in this game. Yeah, it was really cool. Which sounds kind of ridiculous right. especially since you know I I mean there was some horses in um one of the call it 
Call of Duty was uh, Ghost. I, I think Ghost. it was Ghost. Oh, that's why I forgot. Yeah, it Ghost. was a horrible game. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a horse part in that. There was a horse part in like Uncharted. Yeah. Three. Um, and you know they weren't the greatest parts. So I was really hoping that the horse just didn't feel like a jeep with legs. <laughs> um, and I think they did a really good job with the horse. Yeah. I mean, they didn't nail it. I mean, there's some weird clipping and like, and like every once in it's, a while, it's like, a beta reef. Just... No, it's not. <laughs> um, yeah, um, but the horse feels good, um, and I love how being on the horse you feel actually more powerful than in some vehicles because you get like three or four different options of weapons that you don't have on foot, you know? And and my favorite is that, is that like you basically get this sword and like you, and like you can just mop through groups of people just chopping them up and like taking pastors on a horse. It feels so good to slice somebody with a sword from a horse. The very first time I died in the game, was because of a sword and a horse and I, I was like looking off on the ridge and then I looked to my left and I was like oh there's a horse's head right next to me and then I looked up and then I just got sliced and it was over <laughs> yeah yes so like they succeeded with making the horses their own things like they're not vehicles they're not people they're right. like their own class right um i didn't have as much experience with the flying because i've always sucked at flying in Mm -hmm. battlefield um so like i didn't really try it um but all in all i mean i think it's it's now this will be a day one purchase for me so far i was really excited it felt really good um like the sound of it was awesome um i like how they added the little bayonet charge like the little like Gears of War kind of bayonet charge kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't really have many complaints about this game aside from, you know, the obvious beta stuff with clipping and texture disappearing right. and that kind of stuff. But so it was great. I You know, so you you were talking about how uh, Hardline was a skin of BF4, basically. I would say that this game is essentially a, a, a skin of Battlefront, uh, Star Wars Battlefront. Um, just in the Battlefield universe, using that same Frostbite engine, when the game immediately launched and I was able to move around, that's the first thing I thought of was, wow, this looks or feels like Battlefront. And that is the biggest compliment I could possibly make to the game. Yeah. Um, Because that Frostbite engine is the bee's knees in... uh, and uh in Star Wars Battlefront. And you guys uh you guys over at EA, you can quote me on that one. Back of the box. Frostbite Engine Frostbite Engine <laughs> is the bee's knees. Uh Subby Stan of Spawn on Me. There you go. Um but uh yeah, I mean it 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 looks great. Um it it's is really, really smooth. I can't wait uh until the game is optimized and we're actually able to play it in October. Uh, again, yes, it will definitely be a day one purchase for me. Uh, I'm really, really looking forward to uh, to getting getting into the Great War and finding out what the single player campaign is all about. Uh, checking out the the Harlem Hellcats and uh, making making the world safe from tyranny once again. Um, I almost don't want them to do a single player, man. 
Like dice cannot make a battlefield single player. They can't do it. Like they've yeah. tried. Like just leave it out. Just focus everything on the multiplayer. Yeah. Nobody's buying it for the single player. Don't worry, dice. Like you'll still make your money. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, but what if they what if they do a good one? I mean, look at it this way. Battlefield Hardline single player was much better than yes, the multiplayer. Yes, I, I did enjoy the single player of Hardline, but I, I, I guess I consider that a little different. Like that was like I don't know. It was just that was one of the few successes. But Battlefield three and four, the single players were a right. struggle. Right, right. I mean, there were no bad companies. That, I mean, let's you know, let's let's just yeah. get that out of the way. Um, but but look, we could. There's a chance we're going to be able to play as black people in a war. Uh, um, sign uh-huh. me up. Sign me yeah. up. You know, and and you know, and positively. Uh, you know, so like, yeah, sign me up definitely. Let's let's check that out. Uh, the other thing that we want to check out really quickly is is now PS Now that that uh, that <laughs> Gaikai service that nobody's using on the PlayStation Four is now <laughs> available on <laughs> on the PC. Um, so I, I'll turn to my resident PC, our resident PC guru, uh, Sharif Jackson. Sharif, are you using PS PlayStation Now? On the, on your PC, well, I, I downloaded the trial um, because I, they have a seven day trial. Okay. Because even if you have PlayStation Plus, like I do, right, it's still an additional cost Absolutely. on top of that. Absolutely, to use PlayStation Now, it's about ten dollars a month, uh, approximately. Right. Um, and so, like PlayStation Now and the Guy Guy service, they really rely on streaming. Uh, games to your to your like device. Like I know PlayStation Now was on. It's on the PS4. It's on some TV. On some Samsung TVs. Samsung so, and Sony. So, Sony Bravia. Sorry, on some on some Sony TVs. Oh no, it's on Samsung now too. Samsung oh, and, oh, it was on Samsung and, uh, and LG. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, y- yes. Yeah, so like it's basically like a terminal for you to stream these games. Right. Um, I, I went for the trial because I'm not sure if I would use it enough to justify the ten bucks right. a month. Now, I, I mean it it's it's like something where like we're like I'm like, hey, I want to check this thing out and maybe play it for a little bit. But the, I feel like they're asking for a real commitment and I don't know if this price point is a wise one just hmm. to, to, to start out as basically the price of Netflix. Right. Um Here's a hint, it's you know, not so. Yeah. Yeah, so but I will say the streaming quality was great. Okay. Um, now I do have, um, you know, I have pretty good internet. Right. So I haven't tested it on sort of like, you, you know what I'm saying? I have like, I have like f- 50 megabit download internet. Okay. Dope. So I haven't tested. So like, I, I think the most common is probably like 10 or something like that, right. maybe. Right. Um, so I haven't tested on those to really see. Um, but uh, I can say I I personally have had nothing but good things to say about the actual quality of it. Um, I was able to hook my PS4 up to, up to PC and use that, um, and and that worked well. Um, the, the my only thing is that the actual PlayStation Now app crashes a lot, <laughs> <laughs> like it freezes a lot. It but it, it's never crashed or freeze while it's in a game. Oh, okay. But there's sometimes where I'll I'll load it up and like it'll be like hey like click click on here for the latest games and it'll just shut down. Ah. now <laughs> I'm like I'm like that's not a game. Now question <laughs> for you. So I've got a TV that has access to PlayStation Now, 
in order for me to access PlayStation Now or to use it, I need a PlayStation 3 controller. Do you need one on the PC? Uh, I believe you can use any controller that has enough buttons and just remap them to whatever okay. controller that you have. Right. I just did it for the PS... I just used the PS4 controller because like, I have one. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just... I feel like that's the way these games are meant to be played. Well, so. I, right. But like I said... I've got a PlayStation 4. I don't have a PlayStation 3 anymore. I don't have any PlayStation 3 controllers. I can't use my PlayStation 4 controllers to play PlayStation Now on my TV. You can't? I cannot. I have to have a PlayStation 3 controller. You need a DualShock 3. I was not aware of that. Yes. Because I, I definitely was able to use my PlayStation 4 controller on the PC. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but like, I think that's... I think part of that is because the uh, PC you can download lets you kind of use right. any controller right. for it, right. and 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 the PS4 is just a different one. So yeah, that that does kind of suck. Right. Um, I do know that if your TV has a USB in it, um, that part of the way that the DualShock Four works with the PC is via a wireless USB adapter. Mm. So if you could plug that into the TV and it recognizes it, maybe you'll be able to use it that way. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't tried because uh, I have no intentions of trying PlayStation now. Um, but yeah. but I do know it explicitly says that I must use a PlayStation, a DualShock 3 controller. Um, oh, and, and the way it would connect is, is via USB, I believe. Because um, oh, I don't okay. know that there is any... Uh, there, I don't think there's any Bluetooth on my TV. So... Um, so, uh, you know, that's that, um, but, uh, you know, the Sony PlayStation console is made in Japan. This is going to be a terrible segue. Um, I don't know what's happening right, right. now, but yeah, um, let's go. <laughs> Japan's in Asia. <laughs> oh my God. Which is, on, which is on planet Earth. Right, which is on planet Earth. In the Milky Earth. Way. But, but, um. But we, you know, we read a, we read an inter, inter, uh, we read an interesting article um, this week about why it's important to have Asians uh, or Asian depictions in video games, and and if that's happening enough, um, Reef, you're you're uh, better able to speak than I am right now. So why don't you talk about right now yeah, or, in or, or in general? Maybe okay. it may be both. Maybe both. So um, we got this article from Vice Gaming. Shout out to Austin Walker, who's right. uh, heading the ship over there exactly. as of uh, as of now. And Pat Klepik. Um and Mr. Klepik, who are recently joined as well. Yeah. Um, so there was an article by uh, Kai Chung Lei uh, called "The Invisible People: Why Asians Need to Be Better Represented in Video Games." Um, and it makes a solid case um, for exactly what that title is, right? right? And it really talks about sort of the sad state of Asian characters in games. Um, and I think that um, that the author really personifies it when they talk about the Prey trailer from the recent E3, um, which uh, featured like a Asian character, Morgan Wu, instead of the indigenous character Tommy who was like in the uh, previous game Um, and quoting the article here 
it like says, you know, this is an Asian character and a protagonist at that, not in an indie or a B tier game, seemingly not a paper thin villain or English speaking comic <laughs> relief, but the lead in a much anticipated and high concept title. While we currently know very little about Wu, I will confess that those first glimpses were intensely evocative. Um, and I thought that was such a well, well-written section because when we think of games that we've talked about here, like Battlefield One, right. uh, you, you know, with with, with the with the uh, Harlem Hellfighter character on on like the cover, um, and like other games that like we've talked about in the past, like a Mafia Three, right, and and like uh, and like a FIFA '07 with like the Alex right. Hunter um, story, FIFA '17. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> FIFA 2017. Right. 2000. 2017. Uh, um, you, you know, uh, like you do, you know, as like a African-American male, I do feel an emotional response when I see these like characters are like heading up these like big trip away games but but like we often don't hear that voice um from from uh people that um want that uh feel that same same connection with like asian characters because right. it represents them um and like obviously on spawn on me like we support like diversity in all forms not just african-americans so of course um so i think that this like article is really dope let let it talk about faith from from Amir's Edge, right. and they also also talk about Doctor Kui Liang from Walking Waking Mars, which I haven't played. No, neither have um, But but um, but but they also talk about bad examples like uh, Fang from uh, Street Fighter Five, <laughs> who's like this really kind of like eccentric. Uh, actually, actually, the the um, author <laughs> gives the greatest. Di- description of fang saying villainous weak conniving effeminate (laughs) (laughs) and he basically says you you know that like those are like common like classically derogatory um, asian stereotypes right you know um and then um they uh they uh talk about sleeping dogs and the yakuza games which like i haven't played right um, um, you, you know, as 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 like games that like that like uh actually have a a, a variety of like Asian characters, but for the most part, it's kind of like a GTA game where like they're all kind of like either tough guys or gang members or like martial artists. So like you don't see like families, you know, right? Like like uh, one thing about a game like Fallout Four is. It's so awesome because if you pick, you know, an Asian character or a black character using the uh, creator, that's what your baby looks like. Yeah. And that's what your wife or your partner looks like. Right. You know? And just that, like, that was so impactful to me because I was like, how many times have I seen scenes and games with, like, a black like a black family and, like, a black baby? Right. You know, or like a like a Latino family and Latino baby, or Asian family like an Asian baby. You know, like you don't really see that a lot. Um, and I think that that was one of the reasons why, like we were saying, like yo, NBA Two K Sixteen, like that living a dream, right? 
Like, you just don't see the family structure with the pros and cons of it a lot. Right. If at all. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and the um, article also gets into sort of like, you know, why is there so little discussion around sort of like Asian representation as opposed to like black or like a Latino representation um, and and you know and they kind of hint at like the model minority thing and like how like the like we don't want to shake the boat especially because there is like a large Asian representation in the industry right. um, that like they, they don't kind of face like the you know dual lack of like of um exposure both in the industry and and in the games right in the media right yeah right in the art right yeah so um yeah i mean i i thought that it was like a really really strong article everyone should read it um it's on vice um and uh and yeah after after i read this i was really trying to think about characters aside from ones in the games that were mentioned um that had you know you know a significant amount of like Asian characters, and the one that I was thinking of was the one that I mentioned earlier, which was the first Deus Ex. Um, you're in Hong Kong for a significant portion of the game, and again, obviously, like you're dealing with triads and like that kind of stuff. But, but like a Tracer Tong, who's like a main character, really through all the games, you know, is a is a Asian character and you know even though he's like you know sort of like the scientist engineer which I guess can be a like trope in itself I thought he was a pretty well rounded character um, and really like he's one of the more like uh, like like a beloved characters mm-hmm. in the Deus Ex series um, but aside from that I really had trouble remembering like significant Asian characters in games that aren't mentioned in this article so so, so um, see, see, what's like uh, your thoughts on the article and on like the state of like Asian representation in uh, games? Yeah, well, you know, um, uh, first off, I think the article is great. Um, uh, what they're doing over at Vice Gaming is is amazing. Um, you know, and I'd expect nothing less from their uh, EIC uh, Austin Walker. Um, you know, make sure you guys, if you haven't already. Check out uh, Austin's appearance in Bricago. Um I'm sure we'll see Austin again before uh, before the year is out. So uh, we damn well better. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so um, uh, I mean, they're doing great things over there. This article is um, is is definitely indicative of of the type of um, uh, hard hitting uh, both journalism and editorials that you you should expect to see. And uh, advice, um, and uh, it it made me think back to one of the first times this this particular conundrum was presented to me, and I you know I kind of feel ashamed at the fact that I didn't even really think about it in a, in a in a serious way until. October of 2014, when Kevin Wong wrote an article um, in for Kotaku, uh, the the uh, now dearly departed, essentially from from what it was, Kotaku, 
Um, R.I.P. Gawker. Yeah, R.I.P. Gawker. You know, for for real, for real. Um, but uh, Kevin Wong wrote an article called uh, "What Sleeping Dogs Get So Right About Being an Asian American," and and the article is a really great read. I would recommend that uh, people read both articles. Uh, about both Asian representation and Asian American representation and, and, you know, and the cultural significance of being, um, a banana or a fob fresh off the boat. Um, you know, both, uh, Asian inside derogatory terms for, um, uh, you know, Asian Americans or, or, uh, acculturated Western Western Asians. Right. Um, these they they talk about the the reverence with which the culture is presented in uh, Sleeping Dogs, specifically, and you know, and and, and some of these other games. Um, but but it is it is a conundrum. I think that like you know, like I said, and and kind of how you point you pointed out already that. The games have the games have a far east influence. You know, a lot of the d- game developers are from you know Japan. Um, a lot of the greatest game players live in South Korea, um, and and um, while we as consumers, the the vast majority of us are in the West, but we're consuming a lot of of this media that is coming directly from specifically Japan and uh and you know the fact that that in many of the games especially western games uh we're not seeing a lot of the uh asian while we have the asian influence we're not seeing the asian characters in in very real non stereotypical ways, in ways that would um, give a person of Asian descent some pride in both their heritage, their culture, and and this passion that they have. Um, I, I think back to uh, all the way back to yesterday, um, when <laughs> <laughs> time travel. Yes, yes, I in ta- effect, right, exactly. All the way back to yesterday when. Um, I sat down with my son and I, you know, I got to play Battlefield 1 for the very first time. And, and, you know, I remarked on the splash screen where the black dude is on, on the screen. And, um, you know, my son wears his apathy like they're the freshest pair of Jordans. And <laughs> I, I said to him, I, I, I said kind of out loud, um, not necessarily to anyone. But I said how dope it was that there's a black dude on the screen. It's the title, you know, on the splash screen for the game. And he said, yes, it was. Um, He's like, yeah, it is. And that like that meant more to me than than, you know, an 800 page article or 800 word article could could really ever mean. Because here's a guy, here's a kid who he I mean, he he. He's aware of his blackness, but, right. you know, he's he's been given the privilege, whether it's ignorant privilege or, or, or you know, it's privilege nonetheless of caring less about the difference of the color of his skin 
than than we ever had the luxury of doing so. Um, it it means less to him between him and his friends than it necessarily meant between us and our friends. If if, if we right. even had um, friends of of different ethnicities and in, in, in uh, numbers great enough for it to really even matter. Um, but again, like I said, you know he's apathetic about everything. Uh, you know, nothing is fantastic unless it's something of his own choosing. Nothing I ever present to him is the greatest thing ever um, anymore. It's okay, or it's stupid, or it's dumb. Um, but the fact that he was like, oh, yeah, there's a black dude on the screen. That's dope. That that right. sent shivers down my, down my spine. Um, because, you know, like, oh, wow, he's actually acknowledging something. And and that is important. You know, obviously it's important for us as, as uh, you know, uh, black members, you know, black members of, of America. But it's important to, it's important to, to. I got a black member. <laughs> right. <laughs> I didn't bring it there, y'all. It wasn't me this time. <laughs> um, but it, but it is. It's also important for for all non-white cultures to be able to see themselves in the media that they're passionate about um, and, and support financially, right? And 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 be able to support financially, right? Exactly, and and the media that they support financially. Um, so so. Be aware of that, you know, be aware of that people as you're sitting and, and, you know, I know over the last two and a half years, we've really helped people, uh, at least hopefully have helped people look at uh, the characters that they play and the, and the media that they consume and start to ask critical questions about why, uh, you know, uh, default Ubisoft man is default Ubisoft man. And you know why it couldn't be a character of color in this in this particular role? Uh, why it couldn't be a a a woman uh, in this particular role? Uh, but but also let's look at at why it couldn't be anyone that's not default Ubisoft man, UB man uh, in in any role. And when you know when there are characters of color, like you know when. When a faith from Mirror's Edge pops up, uh, applaud that, but then say, well, why aren't, aren't there more faiths? Why aren't there more characters? And the one thing that I will say that is a little disappointing is that, that the new Prey, the Prey reboot, because um, it's not Prey 2, yeah. takes, removes Tommy, the only uh, American indigenous uh uh, protagonist in a first-person shooter or in any, any just about any game yeah, removes I'm to think to, of another one. right to removes him to bring in an Asian character and an Asian you know having an Asian protagonist is great but the fact is we had to remove another minority in order to get a you know an, another mar- marginalized person in order to get a marginalized person in there and and that that doesn't send the right message. Um, yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, with that, I don't necessarily, I don't have a problem with that. I just think that that means make more games with indigenous people. Sure. Like not, like I understand what you're saying, but I think that if the creative vision of this new team is to have an Asian character. Right. I'm, I'm all for it. Right. 
I, like yeah i i just i th- I, th- I think though that <sighs> praise a weird one right because it's here's a here's a series that was very good the game itself was very good the game narratively went in directions that no one expected and used characters that hadn't been used in in games up until this point in a very very uh, um, they showed a lot of reverence with the characters and, and how they used them and then right. this new title is out now you know Prey 2 is, is one of the most famous pieces of vaporware this side of Half-Life 3 and um, it was interesting to be at that uh, at that that press conference, the Bethesda press conference, and see that trailer and have it be called Prey, because it seemingly has nothing to do. You know, until they show Prey at the end, right? I had no I had no idea, idea. That it was Prey. no idea that it was Prey, and and you know, and maybe there is some connective tissue between this title and the original title that lets that make sense, but I don't. I don't see where it is right now, and we know very, very little about the game, but I don't know that they should have done that. You know, like, to me, I think that it would have been better to call this something else. Call it Yerp. Call it Pray Backwards. Um, Yerp! (laughs) Yerp! Um, and, And leave Pray to be this title featuring... This you know this indigenous character maybe you know maybe you could have gone down that lineage and gone down that timeline and and allow that to be even if it was the Native American the indigenous game um, let it be that because now that game doesn't exist anymore and you've got to come up with some brand new idea where you've got to come up with some brand new mythos where where they they treat those characters and the and that culture it, with the same with the same level of respect um, that you saw in a game like Prey or you saw in a game like Never Alone, um, you know. So uh, I, I think it's I think while I understand exactly what you're saying, I still think that it's a shame that we're losing that part of it as well. Okay, I, s- I see what you mean. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Um, what what you guys are going to lose now is the first half of the show. It's about to end, <laughs> um, and we're going to go and we're going to pay some bills, and then we're going to come right back. Uh, this is episode one thirty two of the Spawn on Me podcast, and we'll be back right after these messages. <laughs> right after these messages. Yep. <laughs> I was just thinking about the, like you the, know the ABC after these messages, messages we'll, we'll be, be right, right back. back. <laughs> I want to talk about our brand new sponsor, Fracture. What Fracture does is it takes the lost art of printing photos and it makes it fashionable again. Uh, Imagine being able to take your precious moments and uploading them to a website and in a few days having a borderless, all glass, vivid and sleek version rendition of your memory that you can place in your home or in a family's home or just display on a, on a table or what have you very, very easily. 
and it matches any decor because, like I said, it's borderless and it's glass and it's beautiful. It's it's science. Um, Fracture is amazing. Fracture is affordable and Fracture is easy. So what you guys want to be able to do is uh, you want to use Fracture, obviously. So you want to go to FractureMe.com slash podcast. Answer the one question survey where they ask you where you heard about Fracture. And of course, you're going to say in Chicago where everything is dope. Spawn on me. And you watch the video. You can save some money and you're going to use Fracture. Fracture is amazing. Check them out. FractureMe.com slash podcast. Answer the one uh, one question survey and let them know Spawn on Me sent you. Thanks. Welcome back to the Spawn on Me podcast. This is episode 132. I am Cicero Holmes. He is Sharif Jackson. And we, we oh, word, exactly. Holla, holla. And holla, scala. Right. And we are back with more news for you. Uh, back after that ad break, uh, you know. Uh, there's some great, really intelligent, well-spoken, pretty good-looking people telling you about getting things in those ads. I think you should listen to them. Very dashing individuals, I agree. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so we're we're back with episode 132. Um, the first half of the show, we talked about some really cool things. We're going to end it out by talking about... Um, Something not as cool. Uh, well, at least we're going to start out just talking about something that's not as cool. Um, the the tawdry love affair with No Man's Sky seems to be coming to an end. Um, it seemed like you you know you guys went out on a first date on uh, and and. It seemed like things were going to go really well. You thought maybe you found the one. Um, you spent some time together. You guys went went away to uh, to I don't know um, Montego Bay or <laughs> where the fuck where the fuck did people? I want to hang out with the same boat. Right, right, right. Exactly. You went to uh, uh, what's that island off in of Rhode Island? Was was that place? Uh, oh, 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 Martha's Vineyard. Martha's, yeah, you went to Martha's Vineyard, bread and breakfast, off of Massachusetts, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. It's, you know, uh, New England. Close enough. Yeah, exactly. Geography, bitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, so you went to you know you went to Martha's Vineyard. You went and you hung out. You had a you had a a, a great weekend at the bread and breakfast. And but there were a couple of little annoying things that you thought you may be able to overlook, but they were like there, and and you spent now a, a, a few weeks with uh, with No Man's Sky, and you realize chances are you're gonna have to break up with her. Um, she oh, she was man. not who you thought she was gonna be. He was not who you thought he was going to be. Um, yeah, so people are now getting refunds. For No Man's Sky. Um, let's talk about why the refunds are happening and where where you think we are with the game right now. Sure. Uh, so, first of all, I'd like to add to your uh, long story uh, of <laughs> meeting a partner. Uh, 
I think what has led to the refunds is more of a catfish situation hmm. where somebody has a dating profile with somebody else's photo and they're like, yo, um, I work in, in a Fortune 5 company. <laughs> I got billions of dollars. I got a house in the Hamptons. And then you meet them up and, and then you meet them. And they're looking like uh, Letitia the Trash Lady from uh, from uh, <laughs> Human Revolution, yeah. digging in garbage right. and and like can't talk. Right. You know what I'm saying? I thought you said you so, look like Janet Jackson. You yeah. look well, well, like <laughs> Freddie Jackson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or or it might be like a uh, <laughs> like a forever Shanae situation. <laughs> uh, shout out to Kid right. uh, <laughs> and, uh, Martin Lawrence for. One of the greatest, one of the greatest sitcom moments. Yes, I think um, of the '90s was Forever Shanae. Oh uh, man! If you don't know what that means, I mean, I, I just 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 Google Forever Shanae. Yeah, and, uh, there you go. You you will see one of the greatest skits of all time. Um, <laughs> where uh, you know I I watched it recently. And kid can he almost starts bursting out? Yeah. like he can't even keep it together. Uh, it is hilarious. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah. So essentially, essentially, with No Man's Sky, um, obviously, it was at what three E threes, I believe. Uh, it was at um, no, so in, it was uh, some way, shape, or form. It was at two E threes and one uh, Game Awards. Okay. Yes. So it. It is by Hello Games, fifteen-person right. team, but it had Sony as a publisher, right? And clearly had the marketing muscle of a Sony, right? So there were, you know, I guess general mismatched expectations of this being a triple A quality title, meaning you know huge, expansive worlds and you know lots and lots of uh, you know possibly voice acting and super high textures and like all that stuff right. so like there was that kind of like disappointment one out of three but ain't I, bad <laughs> but the refunds thing I think ties specifically to a few things one specifically is multiplayer mm. now this game was always marketed as sort of like an isolationist explore the gallery <laughs> explore the galaxy on your own right but the uh, lead de- lead developer Sean Murray of of like Hello Games always said that there was a chance that you could run into other people in the universe, um, and that you'd be able to meet them, interact with them, trade with them. Um, and very soon after the game dropped, maybe the first or second day, two one person went into someone else's planet, called that person up, they got on Twitch. And found out that they could not see each other. Right. E- even when they verified that they were on the same planet in the same space. At the same and time. The, at the same time. And numerous people have verified this as well. Right. And Hello Games has been pretty silent on it. Um, even though this is something that, that they mentioned multiple times before the game came out. Um, so a lot of people are saying, hey, this is a advertised feature. Um, and it's not in the game. You know, and even though I think it's stupid that you would pay sixty dollars for a isolationist space adventure game and get mad that you don't get to run into somebody on the rare chance, um, you know, I mean they are right, and that is a feature that was promised. Um, so yeah, there was outsized expectations. The problem is, 
that normally you can only get a refund. Now, I'm not sure what Sony's policy is. Uh, Sony Sony believes in no refunds. None. Th- th- so 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 like th- there's like no exceptions like like if you buy something you can refund it within there time are or something. there are fringe cases where they've really messed up um and you know they accidentally overcharged you or something like that but just in general if you buy something you bought it you own it you buy you, okay. yeah that's it okay so this right. so the fact that sony is giving refunds for this game is is somewhat unprecedented. Yeah. Now, uh, S- Steam has a refund policy, right. and they had to clarify this around when Arkham Knight uh, came out and was an absolute mess. Right. Um, they let you refund anything within two weeks of buying it, as long as you've played less than two hours. Right. Because they feel like that's enough for you to discern whether either the game doesn't work. Or, you know, for some reason or another, it just didn't meet your needs. The problem is that people have allegedly been returning this game after playing 40, 50, 60 hours of the game. Right. Um, And I had a great discussion with uh, Grand Pooh Bear on this um, because he's, he's one of the people that said, you know, he thinks that there should be refunds because... He bought it because multiplayer was kind of like the end game part of it, and that he understands that you know that there might not be that chance at the beginning. But if you invest all this time in the game and everybody's going toward the center of the galaxy, that you should technically be able to start bumping into people the closer you get. Um, um, and my view was that I think refunds in general are really bad for the industry unless. It falls under that sort of two week or 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 two hour of like playtime thing, or it's something like Arkham Knight where the right. game literally did not work. Right. Like they pulled it from Steam, right. stop selling. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it was. I've never seen anything like that yeah. before. Like that's a refund case to me. Yeah, this to this to me, and not, maybe not in Grand Pooh Bear's case because he's specifically focus on the multiplayer and that is something that they said would be in there and it's not i feel like most people though are like yeah this didn't live up to to like what i want and so i want a a refund Mm -hmm. and i think that that is bad i think that that's bad for small teams that want to take risks on games um i think that's bad for publisher for big publishers like sony that um you know might be less emboldened to take a chance on uh on us uh, on, on like smaller projects um and and i think it's bad because it kind of feeds into this entitled gamer mentality where people think everything has to be the best thing since sliced bread and completely made for them um and if not then they can just get a refund right. back like i i really um am only against refunds and only four refunds in the most extreme of circumstances. Um, and I don't think, save for the multiplayer part of it, I don't think that, like, saying, hey, I wish the planets were, were more diverse. Or, like, hey, hey, like, um, I wish the combat battles were, like, more fun. Which are things that I've seen on the Steam boards that people are using to justify wanting a refund. I don't think that shit is a refund. Mm. Like, pl- 
like playing something and being underwhelmed by it is not refund worthy in my eyes. Yeah, well, I you know, I find it interesting that you that you keep looping back to this multiplayer thing because well, well, I I loop back to that because that is a promise feature that is literally missing from the game. So, I don't I and and to be fair, I really stopped paying attention um early-ish on uh in the in the hype train. Um I jumped off I jumped off the station about 40% in um on mm-hmm. uh for this game, but it was always I was always under the impression that this was a game much like uh the aforementioned Spore when we were talking about this game where there would be multiplayer influences and you would see the multiplayer influences in the in the form of creatures and planets that have been discovered and named by other players but that you would never see and i i almost distinctly remember hearing Sean Murray say you will never see another character another human player in the game and oh, so no. if, if if you if you go, go to the no man's sky subreddit okay because people have put together lists of all of Sean Murray's interviews mm-hmm. all of his quotes that point to things that were specifically said and documented in the past and he mm-hmm. definitely said that it'll be rare but you should be able to run into people and again to me that's not what I'm paying six dollars for like right. that's not the game right like the game is going out by yourself right doing all this stuff by yourself and that might happen but to some people that's really important right and 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 I think that the fact that it's not only that it's not in there, but the fact that the game went gold. They knew what code was launching. They had a chance to say, "Hey guys, like we worked our asses off. Um, sorry, but we just couldn't get it in there. But we're planning on working on it three months down the. Line. That's all they had to do. So so they knew since it went gold that it wasn't in there. Right. And they didn't say anything. Yeah, I, you know. So. I, yeah, I really come from a different place, and 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 you know, I, I don't doubt the fact that um, that that information is out there from from Sean Murray. I never went into this game thinking that I was ever going to play or see another human character, um, and it, it was it was one of the reasons that while I was excited about the premise of the game. That I was never really excited about the well. Outside of the initial E3 reveal, where Sean Murray is on the PlayStation, he's on the PlayStation stage, and he's just nervous beyond belief, and you know he's just so earnest and 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 humble, and and you know like I've said before, in in a way that only a Brit can be in that charming sort of yeah. Hugh Grant way. Um, yeah. That that was the last time that I was fully, fully enamored with what, um, you know, just kind of smitten with what this game could be, and and the you know the 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 further removed I was from from that moment the more jaded I became about the game and the more I realized that while the game sounds fantastic, um, it, mm-hmm. it, 
doesn't do for me. It doesn't sound like they're going to be able to produce what they want. And for me, what they want is a game that I'm already playing in and already in love. I'm already in a relationship with. And that <laughs> is Elite Dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. So if you have a PC and you were excited about No Man's Sky and you're, you know, and you've you've kind of fallen out of love. Maybe you've gotten your, you know, maybe you've returned it. You know, who knows what you've done? You've gotten a refund. Who knows what you've done? And you haven't played Elite Dangerous yet. You need to play Elite Dangerous because while you won't be able to discover, uh, you know, dinosaurs or wonky moving creatures that don't really animate well, um, <laughs> you you will be able to exist within the actual Milky Way galaxy with actual physics, with black holes and natural satellites and all of that other stuff. And you also will be able to play with other humans um, at, at just about any given moment. You guys can wing up and you can do all sorts of stuff. You can land on different planets. There are aliens that are coming. There's all sorts of great things that are that are happening in Elite Dangerous. And if you guys aren't paying attention to what's going on with that, I really, really, and you, you were excited about No Man's Sky, I really recommend uh, going out and playing, uh, checking out Elite Dangerous. If you have an Xbox One, or if you have a PC, please, please, please uh, do yourself a favor and, and, and pick up Elite Dangerous. Now, where I thought the the whole review thing was, was happening or why the, the, the return to refund thing was happening with No Man's Sky was because one of the other really big features is another feature that you that you also have in, in Elite Dangerous, which is um, you've got these planets... Now, you know, Elite Day, uh, No Man's Sky has billions of planets, you know, 400 and more than I can count uh, computational math. And it's all behind the math where you're going to discover new planets and you're going to be able to name them. And the, the, you know, part of the appeal to that mechanic was that Sharif could go and he could name a planet and then I could go behind Sharif. And find that planet and find that Sharif named that planet. Um, you know, find out that it was discovered by Sharif and that, and that, you know, Reef named it, you know, whatever the hell he wanted to name it. And it turns out that while that part is true, there is an asterisk. And the asterisk is that that stuff is only available for a couple of weeks. And then it disappears. They clear out that database. Now, Logistically, you know, as as a system engineer, I understand that, you know, all of that stuff, you know, all of that stuff is data and that data goes to a server and, you know, that stuff takes up space. And if it's going to take up, you know, eventually you're going to run out of space. Space isn't finite, even in the cloud Um, or or space is not infinite, even in the cloud. And that that eventually you you have to purge that kind of stuff, but but that was the thing to me that I felt like they were disingenuous about not disclosing, you know that 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 was that was something that they knew, and 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 they knew that they weren't going to be able to to deliver on what it was that they were promising, 
and and really were disingenuous about about that, even more so than the multiplayer. Um, to to okay. me, at well, least, I I do hate to burst your bubble. What's that? Stubby stands, yeah. stubnosticator of all that is good. That is true. But that was actually disproven. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Um, so the user that reported that and other people that like reported that, they reinstalled the game and they said that their discovery started to repopulate. Ah. So basically the consensus is that the server that when they made that initial report that there was a server bug that kind of slowed down all of the reporting oh. um, and that that server bug since then has been fixed. Oh, okay. I can say that, you know, I've been playing um, for over two weeks at this point and I, I've flown into other people's galaxies um, I went back to my original ones just to check this out, and they were all still named. Oh, okay. Um, so I don't think that is a um, factual statement anymore. Um, I think it. I mean, it's factual that there was some kind of bug, right? Um, but there, there, there's no definitive like they are definitely deleting things after two weeks. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then you know what? Then fuck it. You shouldn't get a refund um, because you got the game that you got. Um, I will say though that this game is the video game equivalent of the Homer, the um, the Simpsons, the Homer Simpsons <laughs> vehicle made by Homer. Uh, designed by Homer when his brother was the owner of a car company and he designed the, the car for the everyman. And it was a yeah. disaster that ruined <laughs> uh, ruined his brother and, and destroyed everything. I hope this game doesn't destroy Hello Games. I hope it doesn't uh, destroy Sean Murray. Um, I hope we do get to see a Joe, Joe Danger 2 or Joe Danger 3. Um, but I, I just... Uh, this game was was more ambitious than than they were able to tackle than they were able to tackle um and it shows um but i applaud their i applaud the the ingenuity and the imagination that let them believe that they could accomplish what they were able to accomplish and if you think about it with 15 people, what they were able to accomplish was amazing. Yeah, that's, that's what I was about to say is, I think they did accomplish a lot. Like, they created a procedural algorithm that generated this entire universe. Right. I mean, the game is only 2.6 gigabytes. Yeah, that's crazy. And most of that's music. It's literally, yeah, most of it is music and texture. It's literally one long-ass piece of code that just iterates on itself to create a galaxy. Right. It's It's from a technological perspective it's amazing yeah i think this game was a victim of so many things one people still looking to justify their ps4 xbox one fanboy war purchase and no man's sky was one that sony themselves latched on kept pitching it so the fanboys kind of latched on to it and it kind of got unfairly put as this is next gen gaming when it's a small little indie title right Right, you know, right. Well, no, no, you know, and number two. Oh no, no I, I just, I, I, I try to get to the points. Number two, <laughs> sixty bucks. Right. 
Yeah. So they priced it AAA. Yeah. And you know, even though I hate to say I agree with Paris Lilly with anything, right. <laughs> um, of uh, Game Attack Radio, he said if you price it like AAA, you gotta expect to get treated like AAA. You know, and that comes with the expectations. If this was a forty dollar game that wasn't in three conferences and wasn't on top of like Sony's marketing, I don't think people would have had a problem with it at all. Yeah. So I so I so I think it was a victim of all those things right. mixing in. I don't think it's a failure of a game. Right. But but I do think that if you add all those other things in that's what makes it more complicated. Yeah, it, it was it was definitely when when you know I sat back and I was talking uh, um, uh, talking with uh, our good friend Mike Micah about this game a long time ago, a couple of years ago actually, and you know I said it felt like the five year old version of yourself, the game designer. Um, you know, and it's like, and then you go on a rocket ship, and then you you <laughs> fly in space, and then you fly you, all r- the way, right, right, exactly, and then you <laughs> land, and then you get to play with dinosaurs, and then you get to name them, and then you get to do all of this stuff, um, and you know, and it's it, it was it was going to be that game that made you feel like a child again, and made you think about games that defined your childhood. And that leads us directly into our final story, which is what games did define your childhood? Um, you know, there was a great story on Kotaku uh, talking about that. Uh, and and Reef, I'll ask you, what games defined your childhood as defined by Narel Hosang on uh, Kotaku? Yeah. So, uh, first of all, before I do that, I want to say the first part of this article blew my mind because she was talking about her 10-year-old nephew and saying, like, this is a person that grew up on Minecraft, right, right, on Pokemon, and on Undertale, and they'll be talking about these games with the same air of nostalgia and passion that... We're, that we talk about the games that uh, that uh, that um, we're going to mention, right. which is crazy to me. Right, right. Uh, but but um, yeah, I think for me, the games that define my childhood. Um, actually, recently, I was asked for my um, sort of top ten list of gaming, hmm. um, and y- y- you know, not not in like any any like order, just like ten games that you know that like I thought were um, you know were kind of like in my in my favorite list and most of them tended to be those kind of games right um and i think that one well like the top two, if if i think i would definitely rank the top two though because like those would be um super mario brothers 3 mm-hmm. and legends of Z- legend of zelda 3 a link to the past um mario 3 defined my childhood even more than one and two um because when Mario 3 came out, the NES, of course, I didn't know this at the time, but it was a fairly old console. Right. Like, it had been out for about six, six years at the time, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, you know, like, the Genesis was out already. You know, like, um, like, uh, the, like, technology was clearly still moving on. I mean, was, was like, moving on to the next level. Right. And Mario 3 was still able to hold my attention because I think it still has probably the most brilliant uh 2d platformer design of any game um and it just was one of those games 
that I think was a precursor to games now where you feel like that, like you could do anything. Right. If like you just thought hard enough, <laughs> because like, you, 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 you know, like uh, this was the first game where like not not only was it the first game that Mario could fly in. But it was well. Well, it was the 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 first game he could fly was the second game where he could go backwards in a level. So it introduced this whole like I could see something at the beginning that I can't get. I might find something later and then go backwards and fly up through here. I mean, it it literally felt like you could do anything. I mean, like there were secrets all over the place. They were like hitting levels, hitting castles. Um, it was a long game. It was pretty challenging if you didn't warp. Um, it had pretty much all new music for Mario One and Two, but it was still catchy. Right. It kind of like was. It was really just a masterpiece, um, and I still continue to go back and play it, um, basically a- annually at this point, And I'm still wowed at how well it holds up. Um, and just how it just, I I think that every game designer, regardless of if you make platformers or not, should play Mario Three just to see how to like create levels that like really like obviously they're limited because they're programmed, but like they're limited, but they don't feel limited, mm-hmm. which I feel like is a probably the most difficult thing to do. Um. In Zelda Three, I picked as well because um, I wasn't really much of a um, action adventure RPG player until Zelda Three. Because um, the first Zelda, I didn't really play that much. Um, Zelda Two, I tried and didn't really like it at all. Right. Um, but Zelda Three, I thought was the perfect um, mix of sort of having that RPG element of like leveling up and getting quests. And like talking to people, but they didn't kind of limit you to this kind of like RPG style battle system, which I always hated where like everything freezes and and you're going through this huge menu of shit. And it's like fight, run, attack. (laughs) Like like, uh, I always hated that as a kid with like Final Fantasy and those kind of games. So the fact that like it had real time combat, plus it had those like RPG elements of it plus the map for for the time the map was enormous um and the fact that the map you know that they kind of had the light and the dark side of the map so you had like basically the same map twice um that game really captured my imagination and that was one of the first well not one well aside from metroid it was one of the first games where i would like draw out parts on paper to remember how to get to places because like, there were some places where, you know, I would, the, like, the map was so big, like, you would just forget where to go. You, you know what I'm saying? I would I would come back after school and, like, boot up, like, the save game. Like, wait a minute. Like, where the hell do I go again? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because, like, it, it, it would save you, you know, like, at your house or, like, in front of a castle or something. So if you had to get anywhere that wasn't those places, you had, you had to remember it. Right. You know? Right. So, um, so, 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 yeah, I think those games easily. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you talk about a few of yours. Uh, so, I'll before I talk about the rest. I'll start with the latest, uh, and then, and then I'll go back to the earliest that define my childhood. So, and this is, you know, unfortunately, I hate to say this, but this isn't even real my my childhood. But I was still a kid. Um, the 
the Mode Seven Super Star Wars game. So, oh yeah, Super, that was great. Super Star Wars, uh, Super Empire Strikes Back, and Super Return of the Jedi for the SNES. Great um, games. I, I played them when I was in college, or they came out. They were released when I was in college, so you know I was still a kid, but not, not you know clearly not in my childhood. Uh, but they were great games, really hard, uh, you know, very challenging, but really, really fun. And, and were probably the best Star Wars games, um, you know, of, of a generation. I would agree. Uh, um, you know, uh, probably until Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, yeah. and, and, and I would, you know, I would put them in the, t- definitely in the top 10. Of uh, best Star Wars games ever released, so nice. you know arcade console, arcade and console. Um, so those games really, I, I really remember. Um, they were uh, seminal in terms of where I was at that particular moment in my life playing those games, and I really remembered enjoying them and and being a Star Wars fan. Those were those were great. Um, these other two games are very very obscure. Um, or, or uh, the console itself is is somewhat obscure. Not necessarily people know of it, but probably have not played it. Um, my second console was the Atari Fifty Two Hundred. My first being Pong, um, but my second console was the Atari Fifty Two Hundred. And while I had uh, games that I loved on that system, like Kicks and Zaxxon and Popeye and Ongo Boingo, yeah. Um, two games that were both amazing, uh, amazing to me, and that I can't ever forget. Um, the first one is uh, called Countermeasure, and this game sets you in. It was like the Cold War. Cold War, World War Two was about to start, or World War Three was basically about to start. You're driving around the tank. You've got to find this missile silo and decipher the code for the missile silo to prevent the missile silo from from going off and starting oh. the nuclear war. Um, and basically. If you didn't get it right, now there may have there were like clues and different things that you had to figure out um, so that you could get the right code for the missile silo to keep it from going off. But generally speaking, I never really was able to do that because the game <laughs> came out in 1982. I may have gotten it in 1983. Uh, so in 82, I was six. In 83, I was seven. Um, so you know, I wasn't big on like reading manuals and understanding difficult concepts like what a missile silo was or and, <laughs> and countermeasures itself um but the worst part about it was if the silo went off the missile would shoot up into the air and then it would play this song where like the screen would change and the song would come on and it was like this heavy bass song burr, 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 burr. and the the skull and crossbones would come across the screen oh my god yeah and i was just like terrified by it but i kept playing it um partially because <laughs> it was one of the few games that i had but also because i was like i was like i'm, I'm going to beat this thing but at you know 6 7 years old i was you know 
and and at six seven years old um you if anyone that grew up in the early 80s understood how real a threat how real a boogeyman nuclear war was you know we were on the precipice of it for a for at least the very first half of the 80s so uh just the the thought of this game coming to life even in the six seven year old brain of mine um was always in the back of my head as i was sitting there playing and losing and these skull and crossbones would come up and and you know scare the crap out of me uh, so that was that was a, a great game. Countermeasure, uh, really really difficult to find. Uh, you can find uh, clips of it on YouTube, but uh, go check it out. The other game, um, maybe a precursor to No Man's Sky, maybe a precursor to Be <laughs> Dangerous. Um, you know, it it definitely was part of my love affair with space. I've always had a love affair with with. Uh, with astronomy and and space and the sky and the stars and everything else, um, this game was called Star Raiders, and and was originally released for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred and the PC, uh, but there was a port to the Fifty Two Hundred where the Fifty Two Hundred was the premier console to play this yeah, game it because it had the best graphics over the PC and the Twenty Six Hundred, um, and the other thing was. That was great about the uh, start playing Star Raiders on the 5200. And if you remember the 5200, it was the first. Oh, uh, it was that and the Intellivision uh, and ColecoVisions were the first consoles with analog controllers. And the 5200 also had four buttons. It's a horrible controller. It was a horrible. It broke all the time, all the time. <laughs> um, but but it had four buttons on the side. And it had a number pad that you could use for various different games, one of which was Star Raiders that would allow you to punch in coordinates to make jumps um, and you would go to different places and you would have to fight different dudes and do all this other stuff. And I was terrible at the game. Most people were. And, and when you died, you would receive a rank. You didn't receive a score. You would receive a rank. And um, most of the time you would get the rank of either garbage scout captain or <laughs> galactic cook now again i was seven maybe eight years old when this game came out i always wanted to be the guard garbage scout captain because he was a captain right so <laughs> so um you know maybe that's what kai is he's the garbage scout captain of Picard, <laughs> um, I like it. Um, I like it. But but uh, these games uh, again, uh, Star Raiders, very very obscure game. You'll be able to see some clips of it on YouTube, what have you. I don't think that it's available. I don't don't think it's available anymore uh, to play. But these games are games that I will always remember. These are games that will um, that made part of my childhood. And 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 have turned me into the gamer and the person that I am today. Yeah, I I I, I like how you brought it back to the Atari. Um, I never played a fifty two hundred, but uh-huh. I did own a twenty six hundred, like the original wood panel. Oh, word! Uh, the VCS Atari. Yeah, exactly. Like the VCS, um, and. One game that definitely reminds me of my childhood is probably the game that I think my brother and I probably played the most 
on the 2600, which was Combat. Oh, yes. Um, yes. And if you're not familiar with Combat, it is essentially a series of uh, games where you are in combat with someone else. <laughs> so it's either tanks or planes, basically. And there's different, like, kind of like levels or different obstacles, and your goal is to shoot the other person. You know, I mean, that's basically all it is. But it was so much fun, especially the plane game, because, like, you could, like, either do the regular planes or, like, these really fast-moving jets. Right. And, and even though it didn't quite have, like, obviously the physics, it felt... It still felt like you were actually soaring through the air. Like, it was, like, pretty cool. Um, so we would play combat for hours. I mean, that game was so cool. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we, we, we owned a lot of... 2600 games because we got an Atari. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but we got an Atari after the video game crash right, in 83. of 83. Right. So everything was dirt cheap. Right. So my mom probably got it for like a dollar or something. And like, and like we just had like a shoebox of 2600 games and we had a lot of 2600 games. Right. Now, we didn't have E.T. Oh, really? Um, so you never played E.T.? We did e. not have E.T. I've played it, but oh, like okay. I didn't play it back then. Oh, okay. Um, but you know, we like played a lot of combat, a lot of Pac-Man, a lot of football. Right, because yes. they had a football game, yeah, <laughs> and a baseball game as well. Um, so yeah, we we actually, I remember playing Atari well into the time I had both a Sega Master System and a, and a Nintendo Entertainment System. Wow. We pretty much played Atari up until it broke. Wow. Um, I feel like that system just, it just did what it did. It did, it did one thing really well. Like it didn't try to like do too many things. Like it didn't have, you know, a light gun and all this other stuff. No, they, like the they left that for the 7800. Yeah, exactly. 7800 um, did all of that. You know, but, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, I have very fond memories of even like the, the joystick of the Atari just it just has yeah. it's just it's just iconic just one button and a stick that's it mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying um, and uh, yeah yeah that 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 was definitely um, definitely my favorite um, game was like probably combat but uh, v- very close ones are like adventure mm-hmm. uh, pitfall. Right. Um and and, and uh, Yar's Revenge, yeah. which is a really weird game, right. um, th- but like I really enjoyed it. So yeah, I mean, sh- shout out to Atari. Uh, yeah. sh- shout out to, to uh, Nolan Bushnell and uh, yeah. all those crews that really helped make what we're talking about every week. In the right, show. right, exactly, exactly. And and you know what? Shout out to uh, Howard Scott Warshaw who uh, yes who made who made Yar's Revenge and the aforementioned ET. Um, again, uh, if you haven't watched it already, check out the amazingly great documentary, uh, Atari Game Over, um, where they talk about basically E.T. and how E.T. Um, led to the video game crash of 1983. Um, and, uh, you know, spoiler alert, it really didn't. Um, but, but... Uh, lots of great things are, are done in there. Lots of great things are said in there. Lots of great people are seen in there, including our good, good friend, uh, Mr. Mike J. Micah. Um, so I think, uh, I think that's 
as good a place as any to leave it off mm-hmm. is by saying you've got some homework. Go try and find those games if you haven't played them. If you have played them, go and find them again and play them again. Uh, you won't find them on PlayStation now. And while you're waiting for those games <laughs> to download it, they'll be really quick. Go ahead and, and, and give uh, give Atari Game Over a, a quick watch. Or if you've watched it, watch it again. And uh, for that, I will say uh, this has been the 132nd episode of Spawn on Me. Reef, why don't you hit everybody with our social media business? All right, the beeswax. Um, so, spawnon.me, that is our webpage. It has all our episodes about page, contact, donations, all that stuff is at spawnon.me. Right. You, you, you can also check us out at ESN, the Electric Shadow Network, at esn.fm slash spawnonme. Right. Um, that also links to other shows in ESN, such as uh, Unconsolable. Right. Oh, which, you know what? I, I don't want to cut you so, off, but I want to say, we haven't said it on the air, but I want to say congratulations to Anna and Jessica for yeah, reaching for and surpassing that 100th episode milestone. We are so very proud of you guys. You guys are doing amazing work over there, and we'll say fucking shit over here for you. <laughs> we fucking love you guys. Mwah. Yeah, absolutely. And if like you have any interest in mobile games, yes. um, Unconsolable is absolutely the destination to uh, the premier go place. to. Absolutely, and Annika and Jessica are just awesome at that. Yes. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So uh, you can also check us out on Twitter, uh, Twitter dot com slash Spawn on Me, on Facebook, Facebook dot com slash Spawn on Me. Um, if you want to send us an email, you can go Spawn on Me podcast at gmail.com if like, you just want to say hey <laughs> or hi or or like if you want to hit us up with games that define define your childhood or, I want to know about that any of that stuff you know what I'm saying you, 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 you can like hit us up at any of the aforementioned places and if you want to subscribe to us um, you know, if you go to iTunes or uh, or uh, Google Play and type in Operation, sorry, not Operation Cubicle. Wow! Oh, uh, look at this guy! T- hey, I you know I went right into the shtick, man. Yeah, like, like, <laughs> like, like my brain got activated. Um, <laughs> I oh, called man. us by the other woman, man. Look at that! I I am so sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to scream your name. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So if you type in spawn on me. Uh, in your podcast reader, you should be able to get the actual RSS feed right. and download it. Uh, make sure to also check us out on um, on uh, NPR as well, right? Um, because like we have our podcast link there too. Yep, yep. And uh, leave us a rating and a review wherever you can do that. It definitely is helpful, and we like reading positive and negative things about ourselves. We're just that vain. At least I'm that just that vain. We 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 like reading positive things about ourselves. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think that's it uh, for uh, the dearly departed Drift King, the Garbage Scout Captain himself, <laughs> DDK, DDK, uh, the Garbage Scout Captain Khalif Adams. Um, <laughs> have fun out in packs uh, in in Seattle. Uh, and for 
the Afroed one, Mr. Sharif Jackson. Go ahead and make sure you check out the latest episode of Gaming Looks Good. I am Cicero Holmes, a.k.a. Stubby Stan. We are Bricago. We are Spawn on Me. And we say peace. Peace. Peace.